Buckle up, you are about to enter the Draws Cast podcast. Your host, author, and motivational speaker, Jeff Drozowski, will transport you through the world of motivation and leadership, always keeping an eye on having some fun, too. Sometimes with a guest, other times just Jeff. Either way, you will leave better equipped to succeed than when you came in. Here he is, the Draws, Jeff Drozowski. Hello and thank you, author, motivational speaker, trainer, coach, video blogger, and podcaster, Jeff Drozdowski. And welcome back to my show, The Drozcast Podcast, speaking of motivation and leadership. Well, uh, as I told you over the last couple of episodes, uh, I was going to be changing course a little bit. And I was going to be bringing many more guests onto the podcast to talk about leadership and motivation. And this is the first podcast that we'll be doing that. Uh, Before I introduce my guest and we get into our discussion today, I just want to give you a brief update on my book and website. Uh, First, the book, Leadership, One Golden Nugget at a Time. Uh, Still doing very well out there, folks. There are two places where you can get it. Uh, You can go direct to Amazon and purchase it there. But if you would like a signed copy, uh, please go to the website uh, and there'll be a spot for you to click on there. Go through the the process and I will get that information. I will sign a copy for you and get it off in the mail as soon as possible. Also, uh, DrawsTalks.com has kind of been in a stable state for a while, but I'm going to be jazzing it up here a little bit. And also for those of you who follow me on social media, we'll be jazzing up the uh, social media sites as well with uh, more content, more consistent content, and hopefully a little bit brighter and happy content as well. So that's what's going on in the world of Draws Talks. But uh, most importantly, I am here today with my first podcast guest to talk about leadership. Uh, I have a quick file I'd like to read about my guest, Maureen Rukin. Uh, Maureen Rukin has led Creative Restaurant Solutions Incorporated since its formation in 1997. She is a dynamic consultant who has built a team of experts who consistently impress clients with attention to detail, industry knowledge, and dedication to superior customer service. Maureen started her restaurant career at Houlihan's, where she worked her way up from manager in training to assistant general manager. While at Houlihan's, she oversaw all management training and development for the Mid-Atlantic region. Maureen then went on to become a director of Mid-Atlantic restaurants for a Boston Market franchisee, where she managed the conversion of all 110 units from Boston Chicken to Boston Market. Maureen, moving on, uh, had this wonderful idea of giving more back and and becoming more of an influence in the hospitality industry. So in 1997, she created her company called Creative Restaurant Solutions. CRS, as it is called, now compromises a network of 15 professionals and focuses on helping companies maximize retention, productivity, and profitability, all while putting more fun back in the business. CRS delivers results related to various types of surveys, leadership development training, and operational consulting. Now the good news. 
if that wasn't good news enough. Due to client demand, Maureen started Combined Resource Solutions Incorporated in 2008, which offers similar services outside of what she knows best, the restaurant industry. Maureen earned a bachelor's degree in business administration from the University of New Hampshire. She also owns a master's uh, in education with a focus on instructional design from Penn State. She does amazing things in her community. Uh, Maureen lives outside of the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area where I am now. And she has a couple of really nice recognitions to her resume, too. Uh, the, the University of New Hampshire Hospitality Management Board of Advisors is where Maureen has been since 2010. The Philadelphia Business Journal has recognized Maureen as one of the 2007 Women of Distinction, and Pennsylvania Governor Rendell awarded Maureen one of the top women in business for Pennsylvania in 2009. But the recognition continues from there. CRS has been recognized as a Philly 100 top business for three consecutive years, starting in 2016. Additionally, Maureen has penned a chapter in a book called Dream Incorporated, Million Dollar Business Strategies from 32 Successful Philadelphia Area Entrepreneurs. Maureen, that is quite a resume there. Welcome to the Drosscast. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here with you today, and I'm excited to talk about leadership and what it entails. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, just to, I always like to start with background, the backstory on anybody who comes into uh, the Drawscast as a guest and find out a little bit about how you got to where you are here today. So I don't want to go back to, you know, your your childhood, so to speak, but uh just a little background, maybe where you grew up and uh, and how you ended up here outside of Philadelphia. Sure. So I grew up in a small town called Chelmsford, Massachusetts. It is on the border of Mass and New Hampshire. And for some reason, my dream was always to attend the University of New Hampshire. So that is where I did my undergrad. And when I graduated from UNH with a business degree and a minor in psychology, I thought I wanted to be an accountant or a financial analyst, but at that time in New England, there was certainly a recession um, hitting where they were not hiring a lot of people into those positions. I was working in a restaurant. My boss one day handed me the phone and said, speak to this woman, and I ended up speaking to the recruiter for Houlihan's Restaurants. Next thing I knew, I was packing up a U-Haul and heading down the New Jersey Turnpike and moving to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where I knew not one person. So that is how I embarked on my career, and that's how I ended up here. So you've been an East Coaster most of your life then? My whole life, yes. Yeah. And yeah. I did get rid of the accent, thankfully. I had to work really hard to get rid of it. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, being here in Philadelphia, people look at me funny and say, he's obviously not from around here. So uh, it's okay. But uh, so you moved to New Jersey. And, and I think that one of the big things that I find as I interview people is there's a step in their life where they end up going out on their own to a place where they don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. 
and I guess that goes to the amount of determination that you have in order to be successful. Do you kind of feel that way that, you know, you were willing to make that kind of a sacrifice in order to build some success? I was willing to do it, although it was scary. I mean, here I was a college graduate and, you know, my family was all in New England and I just wasn't sure, you know, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I had to look at it on a map and wasn't quite sure where it was. You know, I knew it was outside of Camden, which is not a great area. So it was a little intimidating. Actually, it was a lot intimidating. And to walk into a career that was not initially what I thought I wanted. So that was a challenge in and of itself. But very quickly, I learned the hospitality industry is a place that allows me to be myself and to have a little bit of fun because I'm somebody who is not good at being entirely serious. So it really, I think, brought out the best of me as I evolved in my career. So, yeah, you have to be determined. You have to be willing to take risks um, and you have to be scared. You definitely have to feel that fear in your gut. Yeah. To get somewhere. Yeah, no doubt. That's uh, that's very interesting. So you went through the hula hands and you did the, the Boston market um, thing where you converted. And I remember during those times, uh, the, the conversion was like one day. It was like, Boston chicken. Oh, that's really cool. And then, hey, wait. <laughs> it was, it, what happened to what happened to Boston Chicken? It's it's Boston Market now. Uh, but I do want to go back to something that you said uh, just now about the hospitality industry, and uh, we both come from the hospitality industry. Me, more of uh, pizza, and you. Um, I guess you'd call it more of a fast casual uh, environment. I would say more casual themed. Um, yeah. you know, Boston Market was certainly fast casual in terms of. It's, it's set up in its layout, but, you know, I spent my years at Hands restaurants. I worked for Red Lobster for a little while during recruiting. Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very interesting place because I learned this very quickly in my years uh, in the hospitality industry that uh, restaurants, hotels are a lot like sports teams because people from all walks of life end up in that industry and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you come from uh if you're good at athletics you, you're going to end up in a place and if you love being hospitable to people and giving great service and just love serving people people from all walks of life uh come into that business as well so um it's one of the things I think I like the best about the industry is that you're not dealing with the same people every day. As a leader, you have to tailor your approach depending upon who you're talking with, um, you know, what kind of experience do they have, do you have to discipline. And so I think the whole people part of any business is the most exciting part. Yeah, it's variety too. Taking nothing away from our friends who are lawyers or engineers, um, doctors, but they all hang out with like people and those of us who are in the hospitality industry, we may hang out with others in hospitality, but their backgrounds may be totally different and their experiences in the, in the industry uh, could be quite a bit different too. So, and their reason for being in the industry could be different as well. Yeah. So depending yeah. on where, where they're coming from. Yeah. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a good place to be. So, well, that's good. Um, so you were in the environment of hospitality, the hula hands, the Boston market, and then 1997 rolled around. And you did you get a uh, like a entrepreneurial bug or is this something that you've had in your back pocket the whole time? 
So I grew up with two entrepreneurial parents, um, both doing very, very different things. But both of them, both my mom and dad operated their own companies. And so I always saw the life that they lived and the challenges that they faced. Uh, I thought it would have driven me away from being an entrepreneur. But after spending some time working for different companies, it actually made me realize that, hey, I think I want to give that a shot. So in 1997, it was a time when McDonald's was coming in and buying Boston Market. And I had a team of three people, all of which who had families and homes. And I was single and had a townhouse. And so there were layoffs coming. And I decided that now would be a good time to go back to school and get my master's and start my company at the same time. So I took the leap. And I will never need an angioplasty because when I gave notice and resigned, my heart was pounding so hard because I, A, had to face someone who um, was a challenging boss, and B, I had no idea what my future would hold and if I would succeed or not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Taking that leap is uh, is really uh, a leap of faith, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, and you're really just taking uh, that leap of faith on you. Well, I don't know if it's faith or insanity, but um, I'll take a little bit of both. both. Absolutely, (laughs) it's both. So how did you uh, migrate to, you know, you said, uh, you know, Boston area, then you ended up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which isn't too far from here in Philadelphia. So No, pretty close, right over the bridge. I moved over to Pennsylvania when I joined Mid-Atlantic Restaurant Systems, Boston Market Franchise. Okay. They're they're based over here in Pennsylvania. So that's when I made the move. So you've learned some things uh, along the way, right? You start in your business in 1997 and, um, you know, you've got these big ideas that you want to do. Who don't you don't have to answer this specifically, but was it in 97 when you got your first client or did you have to dig scratch and claw before you finally got somebody or how did that work? Well, to start my company, I sat down and wrote out a list of everybody that I knew in the industry And this was actually even before I left Boston Market, I did some free work and I wrote down this list and I took a look at it and I confided in a few people and I told them, here's what I'm thinking of doing. Do you think it is a good idea? What suggestions would you make? Would you hire someone like me? Um, And a few of them had some great advice, which I incorporated into my thought process of what I thought I wanted to be as a consultant. Ironically, Boston Market called me and said I was uh, I had left about three months prior and they called and said they needed a consultant to help them roll out a labor and inventory program that I had a lot of experience with within my franchise group. And they told me it would be for three days and it ended up being for three months. So it ended up being a very lucrative first project to work on. And that kind of set the sale from there. So you started in 97. Did you start with that job or? Um, that was so three months after I left. That was my first job. Okay, and so three months. Three months is not that long. I will tell you, it felt like six years when I was going through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely felt like every day you're looking at the phone, like ring, just go ahead and ring, <laughs> and you you have to make it happen. You have to pick up the phone and actually make the calls and dial out, and um, it ended up working working in my favor. Yeah, I think a lot of times people give up too soon. And they have this dream and they have this idea. uh, And then they say, okay, this is what I want to do. And then one day they 
put it out these days on social media and say, hey, I'm this now. And then they sit there and it's like, okay, uh, everybody who knows me, give me a call and, uh, you know, we can do business. But a couple of things that I really learned about being your own business owner, and you probably know this too, is uh, consistency, Mm -hmm. right? You, you gotta, you gotta beat the drum uh, of whatever your message is. You gotta do it every day and you will fail quite a bit. And I'm sure even though you've built up this wonderful place that we're sitting in right now, you probably still have some failures that, uh, you know, maybe people don't come with creative restaurant solutions, uh, even though you want them to, right? Yeah, there are times. Um, I think that for us here, it is really, it's all about relationships. Everything is about treating other people with respect, finding a solution that fits their needs, not our needs. One of the reasons that companies will come to us is because we customize everything to fit their needs. And so we are very driven by customer service. But yeah, there are times where you work really hard to pull together a proposal or have deep conversations with a potential partner, client, and then it falls through. But we always ask for the feedback. You know, what is it? Is it something that we did? What could we have done differently? Um, oftentimes it's because maybe they want a little bit more of a statistically driven, benchmark driven um, survey or something that's at a level that we can't provide. And I'm not somebody who will ever pretend that we can provide something that we can't because then you under deliver, which is just not in my nature. So yeah, we've had a few along the way, but we've learned from each and every one of them. And I firmly believe that if we're not failing, then we're not pushing ourselves hard enough or we're not challenging our thinking um, at a deep enough level. So I actually like failure and it's something that I encourage my team to have failures on occasion. Well, yeah, and, and I know you don't mean like get out there and fail, <laughs> but but you mean uh, take those risks, take those chances. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd rather them come to me and say, I took a chance on this and it didn't work out, than come to me and say, well, what would you do or how would you handle this? It's just not how we operate mm-hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. So I know that we kind of touched on the whole failure thing and whatnot, but I just want to reiterate to uh, those folks who are listening out here, uh, you know, that Maureen has quite a stable of of companies, especially in the hospitality uh, industry, that she can call partners. Uh, how many now do you have you utilized over the years, or that you have? done over the years? Um, Over the years, it's been over 100. Um, Currently, we have about 75 restaurant concepts and companies. Um, You would know all the names. They're they're some of the most of the leaders in the industry. But with our expansion into other industries, we have the second largest bank in New Jersey. We work with casinos, universities, a variety of businesses that anybody who has employees and they want to know Are they happy? Are they not happy? Are they engaged? Are they not engaged? How could they be more productive? All translating to the profitability of the company. And that's one of your driving uh, pieces of creative restaurant solutions uh, is the whole survey piece of it. Correct. That is about 80% of our business because right now with the labor crunch and the shortage of hiring, finding good people to fill all the positions that are open, we really focus on helping our partner clients figure that that aspect of the business out. How can you create an environment and a culture that engages people and invites them in 
so that they don't have the crunch of not having enough people to execute what it is that they're trying to execute. So we both come from uh, the hospitality industry and we've known for a long time that holding on to good people uh, is, is at a premium and always has been just because of the nature of the business. Do you find now that you've reached out to other industries that they're, they're starting to struggle with that as well? And they're starting to realize that and they need to do something about it? Um, yes, Jeff, we are finding that all types of industries are having the challenge of hiring good people and retaining good people. And as the labor shortage continues, and it will get worse. They are realizing they have to do all that they can to develop, retain, advance um, those good people that they have on their team. Yeah. And some of those industries aren't industries that necessarily people look at and say, oh, that's a great place to work. That industry is a great place to work. You're talking about auto plants. You're talking about, you know, maybe more industries that are more high stakes, like, you know, law, medicine, um, you know, things along those lines. But, you know, they're starting to realize, I think, that, hey, we've got to do things to keep people. I mean, even in medicine, you know, there's there's a nursing shortage, you know, so. It's uh, so much about the workplace, and I think we both agree that it's uh, a lot of those other industries are finally starting to realize that, or they have to pay attention to it at the very least. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a way too to attract other people to that industry um, as they go to school or you know pick up a trade or whatever they you know the younger generations are starting to figure out what they want to do when they grow up, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. But if you see an industry where it's just constantly churn and burn and environments are not healthy and the culture is bad, then who wants to go into that? That's so right. It's an important piece of the business to pay attention to. Yes. So what is Maureen Rukin's leadership style? Well, I have a couple um, principles that I like to live by, and I don't know that any of them are earth shattering. But I am proud of the evolution of my leadership and where it has where it is today. Um, so first things first, I believe in empowering my team. So I used to be the type of leader where somebody would come to me with a problem and I'd give them a solution. And then about seven years ago, I read a book called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And it's about judgment. And I really read it because I'm very judgmental about myself. But what I found was. It enabled me when somebody would come to me with a problem, I then turned and would just ask some questions about the problem and they would then come to their own resolution and I could see them. They'd walk away with a little bit lighter and lighter in their step, um, a little bit more joy in their eyes because they came to the resolution just by answering the questions. So I firmly believe in empowering people to make decisions, take risks um, and do what it is that they do every day. If you surround yourself with good people, you should just let them do what they do. I think uh, not not to jump in too much here, but I've heard that from countless leaders mm -hmm. is it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates. It doesn't matter if you're the guys at Google. You know, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. We need to find people that cover our weaknesses so we can spend more time on our strengths. Right. So if I'm 
bad at math and accounting. I need to find a good accountant so I can say, do your accounting thing, you know, and I'll check in on you and make sure that you're doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it. But this is your thing. Um, I, I think that that is a big lightning bolt that goes through people uh, at some point when they finally decide that they want to become a successful leader is they, mm-hmm. they have to turn around and look at themselves yeah. and say, these are my strengths and weaknesses. And I feel like I'm hijacking the interview here. <laughs> <laughs> I, would say, I think, it, as I said, none of these are earth shattering. Um, and I think if you hire well, we're slow to hire. And so I think that if you hire the right people to do the jobs, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to worry about it. Get out of the way. So what do you do in the workplace to make it inviting, make it fun uh, for your employees? Because there are some things that you need to do to have people to, uh, you know, look forward to doing or know that Maureen is going to react a certain way. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you answer that question. Go ahead. So we I try to do a few things uh, every month that uplifts everybody um, and so whether it be that we spontaneously, we have a birthday that we're celebrating. We celebrate birthdays here. Everybody here likes cake. Um, so that's fun. We sometimes will do lottery tickets. We sometimes will just have a powwow with the team to share good news about a partner client that we've just started to work with or will be working with. Um, I think it's even more than that. It's about showing up every day and showing interest in the people on my team. And I do, I consider them my second family. So every day I come in, I check in, uh, I check in with how they're feeling and doing and do they have the tools and resources that they need. You know, we have fun artwork all over the walls here. So it's a very bright and lively place. The team here actually created some of the artwork. Um, So that makes it fun because they can see their contribution to the space. But I think it's just really, it's not harder than just showing a genuine interest in them as a person, not as a worker. Yeah. So to speak to what you said, uh, this is the first time that I've been in uh, her office where we're recording this. And the first thing that struck me were the inspirational and and motivational uh, quotes that were uh, up on the walls. And it definitely gave a good feeling. Uh, to your to your office here. So that was our holiday party last year where we hired a company to come in and everybody had given me their favorite motivational quote. And then this company um, cut out stencils and everyone chose the board that they wanted to paint it on. And as a team, we created our favorite our favorite quotes on boards and then we hung them all over the walls. Mm -hmm. It was a blast. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those of you out there who may be uh, non-hospitality related uh, industry that you're in, um, you know, it's it's time to start taking a look at your workplace and what you can do to make your workplace more inviting. Uh, if you already haven't done so, one of the ways that you can do that is you can get some ideas from Creative Restaurant Solutions. So at the end, I'll give uh, Maureen an opportunity to give her contact information in case you want to get in touch with her. So while you, uh, you know, you've, you've shared some philosophies with us, um, I'm sure that you have a few more, uh, you know, really the floor is yours. Go ahead and, and tell us maybe some additional things that you, you find that leaders, whether it be yourself or leaders in general, uh, need uh, in order to be successful. Um, I think as a leader, it is also important to be vulnerable, which is hard 
because you think you're the one in charge, you're at the helm, you should know it all and put on that uh, face, so, so to speak. But I have learned over the years that it's okay to say, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know what it is that you're talking about, show me. Um, I think that it makes you more human and I think it makes you more relatable. And the results I've seen since I've shown more of my vulnerable side have been very, very positive. I think that it's also important to provide meaningful work opportunities to your team. So on occasion, what that means is looking at what everybody is doing and then deciding, okay, that person has progressed and that work is now something that they shouldn't be doing. So who on the team can we cross train and do so what that finding meaningful work for everybody on the team it gets them excited about coming in. It gets them excited about sharing their accomplishments and it gets them excited about showing the results that they've gotten. But with that does mean holding people accountable. So if you assign something to somebody that is a stretch assignment, that to be able to hold them accountable to it, making it okay in the environment to make mistakes and not um, admonishing people for that, but instead, I don't wanna say celebrate it, but if somebody makes a mistake, we encourage them to A, own up to it, and B, share what it is that they learned from it. And so um, those are a couple other things that I think are important as a leader. Yeah, when it comes to making mistakes, I think a lot of it has to do with intent, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If, they're, if their heart's in a good place and they're trying to do something to benefit your company, you know, you can't, you can't get mad at them uh, too much. No, <laughs> it depends. I, you know, no yeah. I don't believe in getting mad. I, I, I have been on the receiving end of making a mistake and being totally belittled and berated in front of the entire team. And it makes you feel really uncomfortable. I, I joke with my team. I have a problem with closed doors because it always meant for me when I was coming up in my leadership roles, if you were behind closed doors, it always meant that you were being yelled at. And so I just don't like closed doors at, at this point because make a mistake, learn from it, and let's grow from that. Yeah, I think one thing that especially young leaders make is when it's time to discipline somebody, they look at discipline as they have to yell at them or threaten their employees mm -hmm. to show that they're in charge or that, you know, they're in power when really the good leader is going to try and take that mistake and turn it into a positive and help, help that person grow. Cause we're, you know, we're all making mistakes. Doesn't matter where we're at, you know? So early on in my career, if I can share a quick story, please. When I moved down to Hoolahan's in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, um, right out of college, I was put with a woman who was my trainer and in my mind, I assumed if they're going to have this person train me, she must be the role model of what they're looking for as a success story within the company. And so this woman trained me. She was very much a dictator. She very much believed in yelling. There are times that she would blow her head um, so loudly and would turn bright red in the face. And I saw the reaction to the, from the team when she would do this. But again, I'm right out of college. I think this is a role model of what I should be like. So I started to emulate her. And every night I would leave work and in my gut, I just felt uncomfortable. It just wasn't who I am. And so I then, um, after about a, about nine months, I was um, asked to go do an opening in Pennsylvania in Langhorne. 
And when I got there, I decided it was a clean slate for me. And it was an opportunity for me to then become the leader that didn't cause that upset feeling in my gut. So it meant asking people to do things, but not yelling at them. And what I found over time was I got better results from my team. They used to tease me because I was the manager who would take a flashlight and look under the booths, but I would crawl underneath the booth and help them, you know, pick up the French fries or pick up the napkins that drop there. Um, I think as a leader, you can't be afraid to do any of the roles. I mean, I'd spent many nights in the dish room. Um, so I learned that it was okay to own my own leadership style. And it didn't mean that I had to be a yeller or a dictator. And that when I brought other people along on the journey, that it just broadened the results that we got. And it was very empowering. Yes. And, and, and that covers really all industries too. a quick story on my end. Um, my aunt is, uh, she runs a department at one of the hospitals, one of the major hospitals in the Metro Detroit area. And there was an experience that she had recently. Uh, and she's the head of the department and she's going to be retiring soon. So she's got a lot of years in there and uh, she went into work one day and whatever happened uh, in some of the rooms happened and in order for things to get back on track, things needed to be swept and mopped and cleaned up. And here's the head of the department getting in there with her employees and, and helping out. And her boss said to her, what are you doing? And she said, it needs to be done. And she was willing to do whatever it took, you know, in order to get things back on track. So that goes to my uh, my keynote, wash your damn dishes and <laughs> other lessons learned on the power of servant leadership. We, we talk a lot about that uh, in that keynote. So uh, since it's my podcast, I figure I put a little plug in for myself. <laughs> but that's not why we're here, Maureen. We're here to uh, to, to talk about you. Uh, so this is some really good information. Um, so you, uh, and I, again, both, uh, from the hospitality industry. So we know that there's a lot of different personalities, uh, in that industry and sometimes, uh, other industries are kind of like that as well. So, um, can you give me some key points about that, about those different personalities uh, that you run into or that you've had experiences with in your leadership career? Well, I think every person is an individual and has their own personality. So as a leader, I ha it's up to me to tailor my style to meet them where they are. Um, I'm also finding um, I became trustee and a board member of our family um, philanthropic foundation about seven years ago. And what I'm finding is that the leader that I am in my business world, certainly I use pieces of that in the nonprofit world, but I have to tailor it a little bit differently um, when I'm dealing with the nonprofits that we're giving grants to. And that has been a really exciting, um, a little bit challenging at times, um, transformation for me. And again, having to further adapt my leadership style in those situations. Yeah, you can't, uh, when you have somebody who is doing something out of the goodness of their heart, they're not being paid for it. They don't have anything more 
put into it besides they just want to do good. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't lead those people with an iron fist, can you? You really got to appreciate and respect what they're doing, um, you know, and let them know that as well as help direct them and what they need to do. Plus, they're going into it with a with a really good heart and they'll do anything that you ask them to. Right. For the most part. For the most part. Um, an example I would give is we have an organization that we have given funding to um, for you know many years. My dad started giving the funding and then we continued it. And a couple of years ago, we realized that they weren't getting the results that we wanted. And we have this, the fiduciary responsibility to maintain the foundation. And my dad's wishes were that it was in perpetuity. So we take it seriously when we give give money away. Um, And this organization, we had to go to them and say, you know, we're not so happy with what you're doing. So we're going to cut your funding this year, but we're going to give you the opportunity to focus and um, narrow down your strategic plan and earn that at that level of funding that we had been given, giving to them. And I will tell you, they blew our socks off and they are now actually having increased their grant because of the work that they're doing and but those aren't easy conversations to have because, again, you're not involved in the day to day. It's just a decision of are we going to give you a grant or not give you a grant? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we take it seriously. And, but it's just a little bit different because you're not there daily to help them well, with their daily activities and their strategic plan. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to lead a little differently. Yeah, that's a great story. So um, we always try to keep things short and sweet here on the Drawscast. So, uh, you know, enough of the heavy lifting as far as the questions are concerned. So we'll, we'll play a little five questions here just uh, just to kind of end up and learn a little bit about uh, Maureen Rukin uh, before we sign off. So um, here's five questions for you. Uh, what is your favorite food? My favorite food, I would have to say, is any home-baked cookie or baked good. My mom owned a bakery. I have to admit, I have a little bit of a soft spot for a home-baked good. So anything with chocolate, peanut butter, and caramel, that's icing on the cake. No pun intended. (laughs) That sounds awesome. Um, Where have you not been in the world that you would like to go? I know you're a well-traveled person, but uh, where haven't you been yet that you want to go? I would like to go to either Italy or Greece. Those are two countries that I have not yet experienced. And we will go to one of them when my daughter graduates high school. She gets to pick. Well, that's good. Can I come along? You absolutely. <laughs> we can do a draws cast there. <laughs> oh, boy. So uh, I, I did mention... And maybe I didn't mention, so I'll just double back on this. So I understand that you have uh, written a little bit, too. You, you've been in a, in a book called Dreams Incorporated, Entrepreneurs, I, I guess, in Pennsylvania. So do you have any aspirations to continue to write, or is that kind of a one-off thing, uh, situation? No, I do dream frequently about writing a book. Um, I realize, though, in order to do that, I have to open up a little bit more of my creative juices and uh, juggling two companies and running the foundation. uh, Not a lot of time for creativity, but one of my goals for 2020 is to free up some time so that I can tap into that because I do enjoy writing and I'm looking forward to getting that inspiration back. 
I don't know what the title of my book will be, though, yet. Well, having done uh, a couple, you know, sometimes the uh, the inspiration from it comes in interesting places. So you'll know when it's the right uh, title. Uh, okay, so uh, two more questions. Do you like to sing? I do love to sing. The, the challenge being, in my head, I sound like Katy Perry or Pink, but my daughter tells me that that is not the case and that I should just keep my mouth shut. So I sing in the shower and in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, something that I did learn uh, uh, for question number five, so we get this out here, is you, you like to cook. So what's your favorite dish to cook? I love to cook soups in the fall and the winter. And I have a variety. A lot of, most of them are vegetable-based. But I, my, I have lear recently learned how to make bagels. I know that it really doesn't count as a meal, but you know, dough is hard to work with and it's a challenge to get them to not be dense. And it was really fun learning how to do that. And I have heard from others that I gave them away to that they are on par with some big companies out there. So I don't know, that might be my next career. So before we say good afternoon from the podcast, I wanted to uh, give Maureen an opportunity to give her contact information for her company or companies, Creative Restaurant Solutions and Combined Resource Solutions. Um, so Maureen, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in doing business with you? Thank you, Jeff. People can check out both CRS companies by going to consult crs.com or they can email me directly at mrukin that's r-u-k-i-n at consultcrs.com thank you so much oh you're very welcome and uh so having seen uh, maureen in action and, and seeing her staff and meeting them they are a top-notch group of people over here so you will definitely get uh, treated very well have great customer service and uh, get what you're looking for at, uh, at her company. So with that, we're going to say goodbye. Uh, thanks so much to Maureen and to all of you out there who continue to listen to the Drawscast. Kyla, please uh, put an end to this episode. And for all of you out there, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for being part of the Drawscast. Check out Jeff's website, drawstalks.com, to find out more about booking Jeff for your next event. Also at drawstalks.com, you can purchase Jeff's book, Inspired, How Our Differences Are Changing the Workplace, or inquire about Jeff's training programs and personal or executive coaching. All of Jeff's video blogs can be seen on his YouTube channel, Jeff Drozowski. Thank you and bye for now.